Looking to ignite your marriage again? Wondering where that spark went? What about the fire? Join the Sexy Marriage Academy and you can find it again. Join a community of like-minded people and ask the questions that you've most wanted to ask but didn't know where. Go to sexymarriage.net forward slash SMR Academy. Sign up today and try it free for 30 days. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Well, welcome to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, where we're having straightforward, honest conversations. If you've been around the Sexy Marriage Nation for a while, you know this whole spiel I'm about to go through, where we believe married sex is the hotbed for sex. And we want marriage and sex to be hot for you as a member of the Sexy Marriage Nation. And so one of the ways we do that is you keep coming, showing up as part of the nation and listening, emailing, calling us, staying engaged, uh, join the academy. There's all kinds of ways you can enhance your sex life right from the comfort of your own phone. But you can also... Uh, we want your questions. We want your thoughts. We want the topics that you want covered. And you can do that via 214-702-9565 with your questions on a voicemail line or feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. And every single email that comes through is answered or read and they can become future shows. Or if you've got pointed things that you don't want on the air, just say so. We'll address those behind the scenes, if you will. Because what we really want is for your married life and your sex life to be the absolute best it can be for the long haul, not just little sparks. We want a long, a long standing fire to rage in your marriage in a good way. And so as always on Thursdays, uh, I am joined by a guest. And so Dr. Steven Snyder is joining me. And what I'm really excited about with this is not only does he have a book I'm currently Uh, halfway through called Love Worth Making, uh, How to Have Ridiculously Great Sex in a Long-Lasting Relationship. That's it. Um, But the thing I'm also loving is that the book is great. Uh, It's been phrased as the next mating in captivity, which is a based on Esther Perel and how her her work kind of shifted some of the thinking. And it's, uh-huh. and it's really done some good things for me and my thinking. But the other thing I'm looking forward to is I'm getting to be joined by another dude talking about sex. <laughs> I go to the sex therapy meetings and there are seven women for every man. <laughs> exactly. And are gay. There are very few men and very few straight men. Yep. And I don't know what it is, but I think part of it is that we associate women and pleasure. Women seem to be more in the pleasure business. Maybe. uh, You know, you see Hoda and Kathy Lee sitting there at 10 a.m. on NBC with their glasses of white wine. You know, a guy sitting there with a glass of white wine, he's a bum. Uh, But a woman, yeah, sure. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, in case the Sexy Marriage Nation is not really sure who Dr. Snyder is, can you just do a real quick, brief introduction of who you are? Sure. And that way everybody gets an introduction to to you. Sex and relationship therapist for the last 30 years in Manhattan of all places. Somebody's got to do it. (laughs) Exactly. I uh, uh, am on the faculty of school of medicine here. And I basically, all I do all day long is talk to people about sex and relationships. And after 30 years of doing it, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to write a book. Okay. (laughs) Well, well done. And it's a good one. So uh, I had a good time with it. If anybody has, if everybody has a good time reading it as I had writing it, um, we'll have a lot of fun. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good combination then. Cause that's kind of what, I mean, you make a point in, 
in the book about how if sex is work, why are you doing it? it you need, we need to figure out how to make Absolutely. it where it's fun. For years, I was the chairman of the National Sex Therapy Association's Consumer Book Award Committee. And um, I have read more boring books about sex than <laughs> you can imagine. Yep. I consider it a cardinal sin yep. to write a boring book about sex. So I swore that this one wouldn't be boring. And if I wrote something that didn't put a smile on my face, I'd cross it out. Okay, well, that's so, that's a good litmus test right there. That's a good litmus test. So I want to jump in on a couple of things that you make as points that have really um, – I guess if, if anything, not necessarily challenged my thinking, but broadened my thinking. Okay. Um, and one of them is early on, you get into this idea about how when we're talking about eros or our erotic nature and our sexual nature, um, there should be, you've termed it healthy narcissism, but uh, yes. you've also phrased it as a uh, uh, it's almost like a childlike in the sense of, of well, what, what the energy is. So explain yeah, that, kind of get everybody caught up. Yeah. There's an idea that's not original to me. It's been battering around in this mental health world for about 120 years, ever since Sigmund Freud. Right. Um, and the idea is that sex as an adult experience, when two adults have a sexual experience, that's a quality kind of sexual experience. Right. It takes where you really want to go in an adult sexual experience. It's not just the physical friction and the interaction. It's something deeper. It's a reawakening of certain primordial feelings of connection and of a union of emotions and physicality that you last experienced as an infant. Okay. Most characteristically get infant at the breast. Okay. Where both people in the interaction are strictly enjoying their own experience. Right. Baby's not worried about the mother. Ideally, the mother's not too worried about the baby if it's going well. They're both just grooving. Right. And that's what satisfies people. That's what fulfills people. And when I talked to people, once I got interested in the emotions around sex, I couldn't find anything written about the emotions around sex. Yep. When I started to talk about the talk to people about their emotions about sex, they would describe things like, you know, I didn't know what time it was. I didn't know what day it was. Right. I didn't know what the name was. I was regressed. Just like people regress when they go on vacation. Right. They don't give a darn about anything. Yep. And they're lazy and they're selfish and they're... <laughs> Into their partner, but they don't want to hear about all their partner's day. You know, yep. and they don't feel guilty time. about it at all. Yep. Yeah, just just make nice noises and tell me everything is going to be wonderful. <laughs> and it was that regressive experience, and that's what we do during sex. It's a therapeutic regression okay. to a state which has a lot of uh, commonalities with uh, states of earliest earliest childhood. Yeah. Children have a state that, as you know, as a mental health practitioner, we call healthy narcissism. Mm -hmm. They don't worry about whether their needs are excessive. They just want what they want. Right. And in a sexual situation, that's what you want. You want to be a manifestation of that kind of healthy sex, uh, selfishness. I'll give you an example. Guy comes to see me and his wife says sex is boring. Yep. And he goes, I don't see how she'd be boring. I read all the books on how to pleasure a woman. Right. And I'm doing it. Right. And I think. When you pleasure her, are you doing it for her pleasure or yours? He goes, well, hers, of course. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? And I go, no, no, right. that's not what you're supposed to do. There's never been a romance novel where the heroine rips off the woman's clothes and then says, okay, now tell me exactly how you like <laughs> tell, Exactly. Tell me, yeah, point point me and guide me exactly what you want oh, happening. The woman who reads the romance novel, she just wants to be consumed just right. because she's so delicious. Right. And so you tell a guy like this, no, no. 
for your pleasure. She wants to feel your pleasure, even your selfish pleasure in her body. Okay. She doesn't want to feel like you're concerned about her. She doesn't want to, definitely doesn't want to feel like you're trying to give her an orgasm. Right. Because if you're trying to give her an orgasm, she's got to think about when am I going to have an orgasm or he's going to be disappointed. Then it becomes goal-oriented. Oh, my God. Forget it. Right. Because, you know, very young children and adults, when they're being sexual, they don't know from goals. Yeah. The sexual mind has no idea what a goal is. Right. You know, people just work on the sexual relationship. I go, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I do this for 30 years. Work on your sexual relationship. Yep. It's ridiculous. Yep. It feels like work. Don't do it. Exactly. What you really want to do is you want to get dumb and happy. That, I and like so that. If you could boil it down, the first three chapters of my book is how to get dumb and happy. There you go. That's a good tagline. That should be uh, the absolute goal. Yep. And it has nothing to do with orgasm. Because orgasm is just dessert. Yep. Uh, like you have the, the appetizers. And if you're really enjoying appetizers, you want to be s- so involved that when the main course comes, you go, oh, I forgot. We're going to have a main course too? <laughs> right. I love this place. Yes. This is awesome. How long can we stay? Comes around and you go, oh my God, this is great. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, long answer to a short question. No, no, no. How, because how, how narcissism is you regress to that state of mind where you don't yet know how to be concerned about the impact of your uh, experience on the world. Okay. And I, I like that. But the, the thing that immediately comes to my mind is, okay, if somebody is, is really seeking their own pleasure and is i.e. selfish, because I, I believe selfishness gets a bad rap in our world. I think Me a lot too. of times we, because built inherent in our selfishness is care for others. Yes, because it is an extension of who I am and the essence of, of what drives me. And exactly. relationships are a component of that. Absolutely. And to get to, to something we talk about later in the book, which you haven't gotten to yet, um, we extend the ideas having to do with sex to relationships in general. Okay. Just like in sex, people get uh, confused and think they're trying to provide each other with sexual pleasure. Which right. Comes um, in relationships, people get confused and think they're supposed to be giving to their partners. It's okay. supposed to be a generous marriage. You know, the paradigm is always the gift of the Magi by O. Henry. Right. Where she sells her hair to buy him a thumbling for his watch. And he sells his watch to buy her combs for her hair. Yep. And o. Henry thinks that this is the height of love. And I read this and I go, oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> If there's something you love, keep it. Right. Enjoy it. Right. Share it with your partner. Don't give it away. Okay. And so too many people give away what they really love in an effort to be compatible with their partner. Instead, you want to insist on what you really love and your partner insists on what they really love. Chances are you're going to totally disagree, but that's okay. Yep. You'll suffer for a little bit and then you'll find something new that you both love that you didn't even know about. If you wouldn't have known about it if the two of you hadn't gotten together. Yep. Yeah, so you're ta- you're describing now how this aspect of our relationship actually spills over into all aspects of our relationship and how Without we question. how we Without relate, question. how it's so much more going on than just an act. It's, you want to be fundamentally yourself. Right. And you see that's one other aspect of this regressive part of the sexual experience is that when a person has an experience where they feel truly sexually aroused in a deep way, they feel yes Yes, that's me. Right. That's really me. Everything else, forget it. Right. Nobody else. Right. This, this is where I really live. I'm like the salmon going upstream to the lake where it was spawned. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is the place. Right, right. This this feels right. This is where I'm heading. That, that feeling of validation, and that's why we talk about the sexual self. 
Okay. There is really, there's sexual selfhood. Yep. Um, and it's something you don't really get with satisfaction of most other needs. If you have a really good steak, you go, that was a really good steak, but it doesn't make you feel validated. <laughs> okay. Okay. But if you have really good lovemaking, you have a feeling of validation. Oh, right. yes, yes, you found me. This is where I live. Okay. This is authentically the most meanest of me. And that's what, what's so cool about that is that it's the confluence of myself and another. Yes. Right. And it happens, though, because you're both authentically getting what you need and want. Right. Um, what you've got is what the other person wants. Yep. What they've got is what you want. Yep. And when that works, then that's the recipe for it. Okay. Now, sometimes couples don't exactly have that. Exactly. Um, so, unfortunately, people don't fill out forms when they're dating about, <laughs> you know, how do you feel about cunnilingus? That right. Kind of thing, right. Um, so perhaps there's a woman who, for whom it's the highest form of pleasure. And there's a man for whom it's okay. And he likes the noises that she makes during it, but it doesn't really right. turn him on. Right. Um, there's a wide range of guys. Yep. Um, just as there's a wide range of women, uh, whether they enjoy having a man's phallus in their mouth. Yep. Um, and so some do and some don't. If a guy doesn't really enjoy it that much and she really loves it, then they've got a dilemma. Yep. So what they really need to do is they need to get granular at that point. They need to talk about, okay, what is it about it that you really like? Okay. Like the warmth, the breath, the wetness, the intimacy. Um, What is it? And what is it that you don't like so much? And once you get into the granular part, then you discover the things that you both really like that you discover together. Yep. But you don't really get to that unless you talk about the details, which most people don't. So one of the messages in the book is you really got into talking about the details and the book includes instructions on how to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that's, this is more than just theory of what you've yeah. written. You know, so most sex, most sex books, for example, don't really talk about sex. <laughs> yep. There are very few book, sex books. You know, for instance, uh, Esther Perel's book, Mating in Captivity, talks a lot about desire yep. and erotic feelings and very little sex in that book. Yep. So as a sex therapist, I decided I had to write a book that actually had some sex in it. Good, good job. Yeah, well, well done. <laughs> so I guess since you're talking about uh, the essence of ourselves trying to be present, be engaged, be seen, be validated even. And that's I think that probably speaking for you, I'm guessing here, it's all, it's like a self-validation and another validation concurrently. Well, they tend to go together. Yep, absolutely. So I'm curious though, because this is what we were talking about right before we started recording this. Um, there are some things that we were both kind of laughing at that kill this aspect of our relationship in marriage that we don't even recognize because it's almost like what the world's proposing that we should be you know, enhancing this aspect of our relationship or our friendship or something when that doesn't always play real well when it's talking about our sexual nature too. Yeah. Now that was one of the things I think that was Esther Perel's great contribution where she said real compatibility and harmony and communication doesn't necessarily make for good sex. Okay. And as a sex therapist, one of the things that I dread the most when a couple calls me for a consultation or they sit down in my office is, you know, it's just the sex problem. Right. In all other respects, we're best friends, my <laughs> best friend. And I go, Oh no. Right. That. I mean, my wife and I've been married 27 years. We are not best friends. Sometimes okay. we're enemies. Okay. That's okay. Um, because the, the best friend thing just seems to really kind of put cold water on a sexual relationship. And okay. I don't know why. Okay. 
I think it's because it's a more advanced state of mind. I think friendship is a more advanced state of mind. Very young infants don't have friends. Right. right? They just need satisfiers and attachment. Things and stuff like <laughs> they just have things that exist for themselves, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay. So what is it then that if we get into the sophistication of married life and how friendship can can impact Eros like that, what what are alternatives? What what should a couple be looking to do that that, – because I I can almost guarantee you, Dr. Snyder, that there are people in the sex imagination going, wait, 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 wait. You just said don't be friends, right? Right. So so what am I supposed to do? Okay. Step number one is you're supposed to know where your arousal lies. Okay. What gets you into that state of mind? Because it's all mental. Yep. Matthew Johnson just discussed the physical changes. Nobody's talking about the mental changes. Correct. Physical changes, as I'm talking about them, dumb and happy, loss of IQ points, time sense gets messed up. Yep. Regressed, childish, selfish, don't give a damn about anything and intense feelings of validation. Yep. There's a hypnotic trance-like quality that most people experience during genuine sexual arousal. So you want to know what that I do with my partner gets me genuinely aroused. Okay. Okay. Is it when we kiss? Is it when I hear his voice or her voice? Is it when I see him or her naked? Is it when they're between my legs? Is it, what is it? What is it that gets me? What is it in their body and their touch and their scent? Talk a lot about scent in the book. Yep. So I know what the potential for arousal is within the relationship. And I want to give it to myself on a regular basis. Okay. And here's the key. Even when we're not having sex. Okay. So the technical name for this, uh, and I know you read this part, in sex therapy is simmering. Yep. Love that phrase. Too few couples bother to feel erotic when they're not having sex. Most couples begin to feel that arousal is something, it's like a fever or something. They don't want to get it. But when they get it, they have to put it out right away. Right. Having an organ. Okay. right. Wait, we got arousal. All right, what's the problem here? Alexi, do you want to come? Um, right. So that's not the way to do it. Okay. Instead, the way to do it is if you experience arousal with your partner and you want to do that, hopefully every day, you want to enjoy it. And the mnemonic is FIOS, like Verizon FIOS. You okay. want to enjoy it for its own sake. F-I-O-S. So... Instead of kissing your wife goodbye before you leave in the morning to go to work, simmer her goodbye. Okay. Then they hold her body in an erotic way, inhale the scent of her hair, feel her body molding to yours, feel your own excitement, appreciate it, enjoy it, then take a deep breath, stare deeply into her eyes and go, oh, thank you. Yep. And go to work. Yep. Um, so you had some arousal. You didn't have to extinguish it. You could just enjoy it. Right. Instead of kicking your husband good night, simmer them good night. Jump on top of them, kiss them deeply, have them hold you, hold them, feel excited, and then fall asleep. Okay. So the idea is to disconnect feeling arousal from the necessity of having sex. And that's now, the key. Of course you can have sex. Right. But, but, that's, every- but that's the key you're talking about here. It's because the biggest thing that people are going to hear. In, in some regards, I know from the sex emergination is, oh, but if I turn them on, then I got to follow through and finish that thing. Oh, when in reality, God, no, absolutely. you don't. You do not. And so many, especially women, 
get mixed up because they think that if they're responsible for a man becoming erect, and I hope I can say that on oh, radio. Yeah, absolutely. If they feel that think of this as a sexy marriage nation, I got to be able to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, we're, if we're not calling things what they are, then we're not okay, doing our job. All right. So if, if a, a woman feels that if she's responsible for getting a man erect, that she's responsible for terminating his erection <laughs> by orgasm, right. which is ridiculous. Right. You're a guy. I'm a guy. We know we like to be erect. Yep. It's a feeling. Yep. Um, we can enjoy it. It doesn't have to end in an orgasm every time. And if a guy doesn't know that, they have to learn. It. Exactly. And the other thing is that you're not responsible for the other person's arousal. You're not responsible even for the other person's orgasms. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the chapter on intercourse, and I'm proud to have one of the only sex books that actually has a chapter on intercourse. <laughs> well done. And it's in kind of entitled Intercourse, Outer Course, and Lazy Sex. Okay. And let me tell you what those three things are. Okay. There are three ways of extinguishing a state of excitement. Okay. One is uh, one organ inside the other, uh, leading to climax most of the time. Um, outer course is where you do all that stuff, except penis doesn't go into the vagina. Okay. Other things happen. Exactly. And that doesn't necessarily just have to be foreplay. It can be as a colleague of mine uh, wrote, it's core play. Uh, okay. You can do that sometimes. And then finally there's lazy sex where again, we're talking about getting granular and getting to the details. Say you're a couple whose desire is mismatched. Okay. One person wants sex four times a week and the other only wants it once a week. The person who wants it four times a week says, hey, how about some sex? The other person says, nah, I don't really feel like it. But you want to have some lazy sex, that's fine. He goes, terrific. He lies on his back, takes some lubricant, gives himself an orgasm in bed with her while she sidles up to him, rubs up against him, kisses him, strokes his chest, and they have a nice moment together. Okay. And he has an orgasm. She can go to sleep. She doesn't have to get up and urinate afterwards or anything. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. And just basically says that you're responsible for your own response, your own feelings, your own arousal, and ultimately your own orgasms. Okay. The same thing is true for women's orgasms. A lot of guys feel that they're responsible for giving a woman an orgasm. And a lot of books, unfortunately, perpetuate that idea. Absolutely. Guys, you know, you're the rhythm section of the orchestra. All you're responsible for doing is just kind of being in a state of arousal and giving a good rhythm. She's the soloist. Okay. She wants to have an orgasm. She knows how to have an orgasm. She can okay. give herself an orgasm. That's now, good. Is that, is that everybody's cup of tea? No, but I think it helps a lot of people feel a lot, pre a lot less pressured around. Absolutely, because we, we are in a culture for sure that is driven more and more towards Sex means just pounding away penal vaginal Absolutely. intercourse. And I never done. understood, frankly, because, you know, uh, the, the common language these days is, is unfortunately pornographic, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because porn is all about camera angles. And most things that make for really, really delicious lovemaking, you will never see in porn because it doesn't give good camera angles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where bodies are fused together. So yeah. No camera angles right Yeah. There, no, right? I, there's no room for it that way. Or really good conolingus. There's no camera angles there. The only you see guys with their tongues out lapping and stuff. It's ridiculous. You right. Know? Uh, really right. kind of full stuff. It's just not going to make good camera work. Okay. And I, I like that. So a lot of what you're proposing and, and talking about, I put the thing I love about the sophistication of sex and marriage is it's a long game. That's the terminology yes. I use that, yeah. that the idea of simmering that, okay, 
that kind of keeps some, it gets some juices maybe percolating or maybe a, a, a hint of something, but whether it comes to fruition as far as orgasm or not at that point, that's not the point. The point is this is an ongoing thing that happens throughout the, the life of our relationship. I, I, I sometimes tell patients that they have a sexual bank account together. Okay. And every time you get authentically excited together, whether you're having sex or simmering, you're making a little deposit in your bank account. Okay. And that's going to pay off good returns for you later on. Yeah, absolutely. With the sexy marriage nation that you're interested in the long game. Yeah. Because really where it's at. Yeah, because that's, that's the thing I love. And it, I mean, I really kind of landed on that framework because it helped husbands who were the higher desire partner and constantly striking out realize, yeah. okay, wait. I can still make moves that if I can be unattached to the outcome on do I get sex or not and just realize I'm, I'm doing erotic charging here. That might, I'm, what I do tonight might lay the groundwork for really fantastic sex in a week from now. Absolutely. And that's, Absolutely. Fa- and that's and great. Meantime, and in the meantime, you're enjoying it. I, yeah. And um, that's the point. Very, very important. And a woman has to know, even if a man doesn't come, he's still enjoying her because he's enjoying her body. Yep. The uh, in, in, in my book, I, I make a big point of emphasizing there's a difference between grabbing your wife, which most wives under the right circumstances appreciate mm-hmm. being enjoyed as a sexual creature and groping your wife, which most wives hate. <laughs> exactly. I just kind of feeling around yep. that kind of thing. Yep. No passion. Yep. But if there's some good passion. Most women appreciate being grabbed every once in a while. I've heard women talk to their husbands and say, what's the matter? You don't grab me anymore. Okay. Um, and so grabbing them, you don't necessarily have to grab them all the way to the bedroom. Yeah. You could grab them and say, you know, is this okay? We could just simmer for a minute. She goes, yeah, sure. Because I'm in the middle of making a pot roast, you know? Right. And then go back to cooking or whatever it is. Right. Or he could be making pot roast. You know, we're a modern crowd here. Um, okay. One of the things that most interested me about the long game is that, as we talked about before, like yourself, I'm also a religious person. Okay. And to me, there's a lot of similarities between the long game of erotic inspiration in marriage yep. and the long game of religious inspiration. Yep. They both involve a kind of sanctity yep. for a couple. I kind of half joke in the couple. And in, in the book, I say every couple kind of develops their private religion. Um, and I, I, you know, when you make love, you're kind of doing a little bit of a sacrament within this private religion. That has Absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately, most sex books talk about how to get it hot. Yep. How to keep it hot. Yep. And, you know, I'm a sex therapist. I go, yeah, hot is okay, but uh, it's not exactly the adjective that I would use for most established couples. I think most established could be meaningful, yep, uh, inspired, satisfying, validating. To me, those are better words. Yep. Um, and to me, I think it's a little bit like uh, I, a lot of people argue with me on this. They go, no, this, this, is, this doesn't make sense at all, especially within my community of sex therapists where there tends to be an anti-religious bias or something I struggle with all the time. Right. Um, is the idea that what you're really doing when you're looking for erotic inspiration with your long-term partner, you're sometimes losing it, sometimes having to find it again. Yep. And it's not guaranteed where you're going to find it, but what you really want to do is you want to open yourself to it. Okay. You're open to erotic inspiration. Um, it's the equivalent of going to a religious gathering um, for either a holiday or right. a Sabbath. And 
You go, I know I'm supposed to be here. I know this was meaningful to me last month, but right now I don't really feel anything. Okay, that happens. That's what relationships are like. Yep. Okay, I'm open to feeling something. Okay. Where might I find it? Would I find it in the beam of light coming through the glass ahead of me? Would I find it in the person next to me? Would I find it in something in the book I'm going to open on my lap? Where do I find it in the words of the person who's talking? Right. I'm open to it. I don't know where I'm going to find it, but I'm going to find it. Right. And I might not find it at all that day, but I'm going to find it. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that right there, Dr. Snyder, is is to me the the biggest thing of we recognize this is a journey I'm on together. It's not just a one-time yeah. experience. This is something right. I want to harness all that I can out of this. And Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and, and savor I'm, what I'm, I can. I'm, I'm, open, I'm open to whatever the experience brings me. Right. Because we we evolve and change as people because you and I are not the same dudes we were years and years ago. And every religious person knows that what inspired you this year is not the same that's going to inspire you the next year. Exactly. Um, you have to always have to be looking for inspiration. Exactly. So, Dr. Snyder, tell people how they can find you if they're interested okay. in more. www.loveworthmaking.com. That's my book. Pretty that's straightforward. Um, loveworthmaking.com. It's love, love making with the word worth stuck in the middle. Gotcha. Or if you just Google love worth making, you get me. You'll find it. Well, Dr. Snyder, I have to say thank you. And on behalf of the Sexy Merge Nation, well, thank, thank you. you for leading this conversation and, and the work you're doing. I love it. You're very welcome. And when you finish the book, I'd be happy to come back and we'll talk about part two. Absolutely. Well, let's make that happen. Thank you so, so much. Well, this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us. See you next time.